2: Hello there, my name is
3: Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the screw of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers.
2: Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Now. My name is Fergus Craig and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Even, chaps. Dave, you always leave quite a long, dramatic Pause before uh, saying hello after I introduce you. Yeah, there's a reason. And what is that reason? Well, because I always think, like, I, I
3: never know what to say. Is it like, hello, boys, hello, chaps, hello, guys? It's just all, every option I come up with makes me sound like a twat. And by the time I realise that, it's already been, like, a second or so of dead air. So then I just blurt something out and sound like a twat. So it's all, all right, right for well, you sorry, with I didn't your... To
2: under- hello. i not want to- I didn't want to underline it for you.
3: Well, but. you have. You've, you've drawn a big circle around it and an arrow coming off it saying this guy's a twat. So, you know, well done, just, Fergus. We've started this pod very critically, haven't we?
2: I, think I wasn't meant nowadays. to be a criticism. I was just interested. There was obviously something going on there and I was interested by it. And it turns out that we're getting fundamentally to the core of you as a human. And, <laughs> and it sounds like I didn't realise, but it sounds like you're a very damaged man. Um, I think it feels I'll see what else is damaged and that is Newcastle United Um, sorry Paul you wanted to say something
1: no I thought Dave's pause is because he hears the intro to the Natter and it's sort of like Groundhog Day and his brain's just going oh fucking hell I'm here again (laughs) doing this
3: (laughs) trying to convince you two to act that I'm right and you're wrong
1: Well, Well, today might be your week.
3: (laughs) What makes you say that, Paul?
2: (laughs) Well, there's lots of better things that we could be doing, but unfortunately most of them right now are currently uh, illegal. So let's uh, talk about Newcastle United. Since the last podcast, we've had two games. As I remember it, the general vibe was, certainly amongst us, that there had been... Uh, an improvement in terms of attitude, uh, if not results. There had been a, 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 an improvement in terms of dynamism and energy and all of that. And we knew we had Arsenal coming up in the FA Cup. We accepted that we weren't favourites for that game. So that could end up being off. But the real test of our and newfound momentum would be the Sheffield United game. How do we feel that went? (laughs) (laughs) Well I wanted to very quickly mention and
3: just go over the Arsenal game very No yes, let's talk about the Arsenal game first. Let's do that and we'll get that because I thought that game looked like two underperforming mid-table Premier League Premier League teams with nothing to play for in the league. Uh, meeting each other in, like, a cup that they're not going to win. They're not taking that seriously. It was pretty, you know, both teams made a significant number of changes to their normal eleven, and I didn't care. The result, like, the performance was fine. It was all right. It wasn't, we weren't great, but neither were we completely overawed. And Arsenal weren't great, and neither were they completely overawed. It just, it ended 2-0, and fucking fine. I was a, you know... I'm not angry as I have been about other results I'm not angry about that result at all what I hoped is that because we made so many um changes that that would mean that the game against Sheffield United we would see a continuation of the the uptick in you know intensity that we saw previously I, I was hoping we were going to see that and fuck me did we not
2: uh no it was um, not a, a good performance at all at uh, the Arsenal game I remember our vibe in the whatsapp group was relatively positive it was an all right performance um, as I always say we're always in games towards the end if not in terms of performance then at least in terms of the possibility that a goal might go in on again oh, Someone, wasn't and we did take the game into extra time
1: yeah well, I think as well in the Arsenal game it wasn't like previous games where we've we said we're in we're still in it because the scoreline's level we had Carroll missed I don't know if it's harsh to call it a sitter the one that was ruled offside but would have been overturned by VAR and then that late chance as well we probably not necessarily should have won it in the 90 minutes but
2: easily could have won it and there wouldn't have been many complaints Mm-hmm. Okay, then tell, before we st- descend into inevitable uh, neg- negativity, uh, let's talk about Andy Carroll a bit because he was—he surprised me by how good he was in the Arsenal game. I'm not saying he's setting the world on fire, but I had sort of written him off as uh, a Premier League player, really. Um, but in the last, think... his last few... Um, appearances whether starting or off the bench he's been all right hasn't
1: he I think there's no better way to turn your career around as a Premier League striker by replacing Joel Linton. sure I think anyone's going to look good in comparison but he has I was surprised he managed as long as he did as well his fitness didn't seem too much of a concern he does look like he can still strike a ball He's, he doesn't look particularly spent. He was never the quickest anyway, so it's not like he's lost the attributes that made his game. His problem's always just been injuries, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he looks like a good, a good
2: option.
0: I was sort of I see, I see.
2: stunned by the fact that he made it, what, like halfway through extra time mm. and was still like a part of the game. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. <laughs>
3: I tell you the other positive to take from from that Arsenal game, aside from um, aside from uh, Andy Carroll, was Elliot Anderson. I thought he, yes. he came on and he looked sharp. He looked uh, hungry, and um, that that intensity that I'd mentioned a, a while back that you know bringing the the, the kids or the um, players on the fringe who are playing for their future or just playing for a, you know, like a bit of experience or whatever, bring them into the, the first team picture because we're not getting it from the first teamers I thought he looked, looked good you know he, I'm not going to hype him up too much but he had you know he had a couple of opportunities he, he you know what do they call it like recycled possession you know he, he got the ball and moved it on quite quickly he was always looking for the ball yeah I think Elliot Anderson's a, a big positive
2: from that Arsenal game I thought he looked fine I don't want to like Besides, him, trying to like hype him up, but um, I think there's such a desire for us to have like young, exciting players come through that, like, someone coming on and not shitting their pants. Uh, go on,
1: Paul. Well, him—it's not so much not shitting his pants, but him coming into a team where every player who receives the ball shits their pants. <laughs> he sort of stands out as our most comfortable player on the ball in the ten minutes he's played for the team. We I mean, will come into this with the uh, the Sheffield United game, but we, Jesus, I can't remember seeing a team that looks so uncomfortable with a football as us. Mm. It's, it's like it's on fire, and we're trying to kick it out of an orphanage.
3: And it's not so just the. It's not just like the. Um, uh, you know, under Benitez, we were comfortable in the, on the ball along our back line. Like they were quite happy to pass the ball between themselves in that position. Maybe the, the midfield and the forwards weren't, but currently everybody looked like you say, Paul, everybody looks shit scared of the ball and everybody just wants to hoof it clear or pass it to somebody else quickly and just get rid of the, like, absolve themselves of responsibility.
1: I think every game recently there's been either a, a corner or an attacking throw-in or a free kick where within sort of 10 seconds the balls ended up back at Carl Darlow without the opposition hmm. having a touch. Well, it's, it seems so like Everyone who gets the ball is just like, fucking hell, what do we do with this? Pass it sideways or backwards rather than play a riskier pass.
2: Well, it's wanting to play that... Um... Cautious pass in it, but like the irony is that, like, so I, I remember hearing that Guardiola doesn't have a problem with if it's not working out for you on the right side, passing it all the way back gradually back to the keeper and then starting again and trying down the left hand side. And it seems like we do that, but the idea that we the, what we get sort of like 6% of the way so the idea that we could string together 20 passes to make that work but forward. it always
1: ends up it ends up back at the keeper and then a the long ball you get the feeling if Darlow had someone behind him he'd play it backwards and that player would then play it backwards but it it was like the there's no effort to recycle it to the did, other wing did winner. play for us
2: but there's, the percentage play for us even if it's, it's not the pretty thing and it's not the way football should be played, is even if your options aren't great, just by virtue of the fact that you're in the final third of the other team, you should just try and get the ball into the box. Because if you're going to try and pass it back to us, yeah. to our half, then the, uh, the chances of us getting in their third final third again before they have the ball are quite low.
3: So, I mean, if you're
2: relying that... on
3: if you're relying on a long ball
2: from Darlow to get move the
3: ball up the pitch, that's already like a percentage ball that you're probably not going to be favourites for. So, like okay. you say, just immediately if 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 the easy you know if you're not uh, you haven't got a comfortable option in front of you, yeah, just toss it into the box because you know, they might shin it out for a corner by mistake or something. It's much better than that going all the way back to our our keeper.
1: Much better. Yeah, I can understand the long ball in sort of... When we lined up 4-4-2 and had Carroll and Wilson, it makes sense then. But if you've got Wilson up on his own 50 yards away from his midfield, even if he wins it, he's either got to beat five people and score or wait an hour for... Jeff Hendrick, to catch up with him?
3: It just screams of a, of a team that is scared to lose, so they don't want to take the responsibility of, of putting in a, a riskier pass or whatever, so they'll take the safe option. Mm. And I think that that's coming from the, the top because you look at the, the formation that was picked for the Sheffield game, and it was five at the back with Hendrick and... Um, uh, what is Hayden in, in centre midfield and then Sean Longstaff and Fraser as like what was he call them? False tens. That's not a, that's not a, an ambitious lineup. That's not that's not saying this team without a win that we're gonna come up against, we can have them. We're gonna go out of there and we're gonna we're gonna dominate, we're gonna play our way. It was it was fucking hell, we can't lose
2: this game. These are the worst mm. this is the worst team in Premier League history. Like no. so we're going so we've moved into the Sheffield United game. Yeah um, I did sort of forget, and so I'll get in my one excuse for that performance before uh, we sort of unanimously tear it to shreds.
1: Is it to do with the Capitol building and the <laughs>
3: Was it Antifa? Are you going to blame this on Antifa?
2: It's Antifa. I feel like Antifa have completely <laughs> <implicated> our scores. <squad. laughs> and <laughs> no, it, it is that I had sort of forgotten that only what four days before we had uh, played extra time against Arsenal, which could explain the lineup. Basically, we could have been tired because we sort of looked, like we were saying on WhatsApp, that we looked like we had COVID again when we were playing uh, Sheffield United. So it could have been, there could have been some fatigue from the Arsenal game and that could have explained some players not starting that we thought should. That's the one excuse to throw in. The one. The selection
1: all over seemed mad though. I think it was, it was picking five very defensive defenders. There's no effort to have any control against Sheffield United. It was a very defensive, reactive lineup. You just think, Matty Longstaff, who's probably been our best midfielder in the last month or so, his energy's made a difference. He was rested for the Arsenal game. Why is he not starting? I don't understand it.
3: And Wilson was playing and didn't feature in the. Mm.
2: Um in the Arsenal game. Um
1: Fraser didn't just, play in the Arsenal game.
2: Yeah. Um well Wilson did not look sharp, I thought, against Sheffield United.
1: No. He's not looked good lately, but he's it's that thing. If you're a striker and you're just not getting the ball, it sort of gets harder every week to look sharp.
2: Mm. Uh, there's I'm gonna do a bit of a Dave. I mean, there's been a sort of like analysis there's been a few of these uh, through the months but um, there's been an analysis on uh, Sky Sports of like how bad we've been over the course of the season. Um, It does feel like a lot of pressure is building on Steve Bruce right now. I mean, he's obviously for about a year the vast majority of Newcastle fans have I've always thought, been over the top, uh, down on him. But it feels like there's proper pressure building now, We're like... uh, Yeah, even talk sport pundits are putting the boot in. That's usually a sign. Yeah, in terms of opposition passes allowed per defensive action, we're like easily bottom of the table by a long way. Just, uh, yeah, I know you keep saying it, Dave. I'm just looking at it. We are in like 20th or 19th in almost every metric.
1: But I think earlier in the season, we were, I think especially me and you, Fergus, were saying, we're getting the points. So how much do these metrics matter? And is it a case now of we were lucky and the style and the type of performance is starting to catch up with us?
2: Um, I think it is. That is true. I've always like, I've, I'm always this like weird renegade with this. Um, You're so edgy concert. and cool. <laughs> <laughs> so edgy and cool and I've got this like contrarian disposition. And the leather jacket.
1: let not forget
2: <laughs> that. But I'm a sort of like centrist um, contrarian. So when everyone was like licking Rafa's balls, I found it incredibly tiresome and, and reacted against that. And when everyone was laying into Steve Bruce, I found it incredibly over the top and had a vibe of like, please stop being mean to him. <laughs> so, um, but I feel like I don't think I'll ever tip over the edge into like being radicalized and infiltrating, you know, St. James. St. James's. Park, <laughs> you know. but, um, I do feel like um, uh, it has sort of tipped for me now. I'd,
1: yeah, there's been stuff I... before with Steve Bruce where a sort of a not insane starting lineup would be announced, and Twitter would be saying, This is just exactly the problem this dinosaur needs to go. And you're like, A ball hasn't been kicked yet, and it's not that shocking a lineup. But the, the the team he's very and,
2: attacked right now. I feel very no, no, attacked. No, 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 not you.
1: <laughs> but I think that for I me. I mean,
2: sometimes you, Dave. Sometimes yeah. you. But I'll I it.
1: mean, the 4 4 2 bit earlier in the season, possibly. <laughs> but I'm thinking more of the Sheffield United, when the lineup and formation came out for that, that was one where you just think that that is an indefensible selection because you are only playing that formation to counter attack or just absorb attacks from a team who had two points from 19 games it's madness it's so unambitious and it I just don't know where that mindset is supposed to get you it must trickle down to the players as well
3: so the before the game I was talking about the the, the, the game that we played under Sam Allardyce against the, the worst like the the current worst team in the Premier League history, Derby 07-08 and we turned up with like Jeremy Bott, Smith and Milner in a midfield and defensive full backs and etc cetera, etc cetera. and we that was another game where we turned up and the focus was we can't lose this game and Derby were worse than Sheffield are now, like in terms of just their, their ability to, to play football and when that like when that game as that game unfolded it was absolutely clear that they were fucking terrified of losing to that to that Sheffield that Sheffield team and it was it was exactly the same it was it was a 1-0 loss against a fucking horrible
2: football side it's a, by two football dinosaurs it's a shame that Fraser did get sent off because which was I don't remember his first booking, but it was stupid, wasn't it? it, was, by it was Ryan, but... Two
1: definite yellows, and it was very stupid.
2: I, I thought he mm-hmm. was our only player who I, I remember saying in our chat that I thought if we did get a goal, it would come as a result of him. So I was just reminded how fast he was, and I thought that we, he had a chance of doing something in that game. and we, But our first half performance... Was appalling, and Sheffield United completely dominated it. But had he not got sent off, it's possible that in the second half we might have been able to turn things around or do something in the game. But if possible if you look at off, the
1: first half, it doesn't seem likely.
2: No, it they, I, can I think they dropped really. off. The first, awful, the first half was awful, but then and then once Ryan Fraser was off, then we didn't really have a chance to. Redeem ourselves? No,
3: um, I, I, I take what I take your point that like when you've got somebody with a bit of um, bit of something about them like Fraser does, you'll always have an opportunity. And I think the uh, that that's fair. But the way that we were set up, the way that we performed for forty four minutes even if fraser had stayed on the pitch and we'd been 11 against 11 the way that we were allowing sheffield through us and the way that we were allowing them to dominate proceedings in a way that they haven't done all season i mean we allowed them to have 17 shots which is more than they is more than twice what they managed against similar teams to us like burnley and crystal palace you know teams who don't press particularly hard teams who favour a long ball and counter attack even they only allowed Sheffield to have seven shots and we allowed them to have 17 we were even before Fraser went off we were we were open it was so easy to play through us um so I, I i get what you're trying to say fergus but like paul says
1: i don't think it would have mattered i think we performed think a really useful a, thing for Sheffield united it's hilarious. Mm. They were so low on confidence, and it's just what do you want to get? It's basically they turned up to that game with their confidence shot, and by not putting any tackles in, not pressing them, closing them down, it was like they came up against 11 cones. It's exactly what you don't want to give a team that's got zero confidence.
2: It's just, yeah, and yet, and yet, it would have been hilarious and I would have thoroughly enjoyed it had, at the end, in injury time, either Jacob Murphy's free kick gone in, I felt like it would have done, I felt like it was going to, or Sheffield United very nearly scored uh, a calamitous uh, own goal. I would have mm. found it hilarious if we would have managed to get a point out of that game. So,
3: So I remember finding that kind of shit hilarious under previous managers. But I think the jokes got old under Bruce. There's too many times where we played terribly and somehow fluked a point or three points and, like, played abject. It's now got to the stage where that kind of rescue in the 90th minute or the 93rd minute by a sh- calamitous on goal, I might have had a chuckle, and then five minutes later, I would have been like, for "Fuck's sake! This just—it's—it's it's another one where we've been shit." And the well, that's the, been the theme. But that's the focus the would have shifted. But the focus would have shifted away from how badly we played to what's well, a point on the board. And I don't—that's a drum I've been banging for ages. Where it's not sustainable, and I think we're seeing that
2: now. Where we're not sustaining it. Well, that's been a the theme of. Uh, season uh not only in terms of how things have gone but in terms of our conversations you mm. know i am mean? like i would have just enjoyed that plainly as like hilarious but i wouldn't mm. you know but i i would have even if that had happened i for me last night if the thing is i don't I, I, even like a few months ago if you said if we sacked steve bruce and brought in, brought in eddie howe for example I would have been completely fine with that. Like, fine. Mm. Fine. But I wasn't crying myself to sleep every night over Steve Bruce being our manager.
3: No, I
2: get that. Last last night, for me, it was a tipping point where, like, well, the case has been made now. This is unturned roundable, I would have thought, for him as our manager. And it's kind of ridiculous, him staying on. But I'm sure we'll talk more about this after the break uh, about Benav for uh, for Newcastle. But um, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Sheffield United game?
1: I think just coming back to the point about enjoying it if we had nicked it at the end. I know what you mean, but it it's like all jokes. It, it decreases in how funny it is the more you hear it. And I think
2: right, it would have been the 15th turn. But sometimes with a lot of jokes, they stop being funny, and then it starts being funny again. Are we going to be the Stuart Lee of the Premier League? <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Um, okay, uh, let's have a break. And afterwards, uh, we will. Uh, I'll get on to Twitter, see what you've been saying. And uh, we will discuss uh, where now for Newcastle United.
0: Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike, e-bikes that are cool AF. Hello,
2: welcome back to the Newcastle Natter your fourth favourite Newcastle United related, related podcast. Um, I'm here with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with Dave and Paul again. Um, hi. Hi. And we're going to go uh, straight in on social media and see. I'm just going to try and gauge the mood of Newcastle fans <laughs> here. I'm, I'm reading this completely blind. As always. I think all the
1: questions are going to be about... Uh, availability of season tickets for when fans are allowed back in
2: and nothing sure. else yeah it's gonna be things like who's our best right back because we're spot for choice okay here we go <laughs> uh zach leggett says do you think paul Dummett trained as a left wing back or sean longstaff as a right winger slash false 10 etc in the run-up to the chef united match or did Bruce just decided to play them there on the night? It's a good question. It's a good question. And, and along a similar theme, um, I don't remember receiving tweets from this uh, guy. Uh, Rob Farquharson, what a name. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, wrong. but Rob Farquharson says, at what point during the later stages of the second half of the game, do you think Bruce decided that we were playing two false 10s? Also, if you asked Steve Bruce what a false ten actually was, how many words would he say before he swore at you and walked away? <laughs> <laughs> I think this right. Is right. most See, last so comments that I haven't seen. Uh, Have we seen these? Yeah. So you okay. know, I, I love a, a deep
3: dive into like ridiculous, like catanaccio and trequartista and Metzalas and all this kind of bollocks. I have no fucking idea what a false 10 is. I know what a false nine is. I'm all over false nines, comfortable with them. A false 10, so to me, a, a, a true number 10 plays in that space between the strikers and the midfield, links them up, is the creative, you know, creative driving force. A false 10, if we follow the same logic as a false nine, would have to play deeper. And pull the defenders. That's just a fucking attacking midfielder, isn't it? I I don't I don't understand this. No. I'm not having it. I I, I don't think Steve Bruce knows what he's talking about either.
0: I think a ten
2: he'll plays the other... in the hole, a false ten avoids the hole.
1: Yeah, <laughs> circle. It does donuts in <laughs> the other half. <laughs> I think Paul Dummett is not a left-wing back. And we had two better left wing-backs available. Well, Jamal Lewis, the jury's out on, but he's at least played that position and you would think is more comfortable going forward. And Matt Ritchie is definitely more comfortable there. And if you think about the opposition, well, if you
3: think about the opposition, playing Lewis in that that role would have been great for his confidence because he could have bombed forward and we would have had, you know, we should have had more opportunities for him to get forward and, and to... To enjoy himself a little bit because he looks a player who looks a little bit short of confidence. To play Paul Dummett, Paul Dummett's a, a six, seven out of ten every game. He, he's he's fine. He doesn't need that, and we'll need him for games against teams like Arsenal, who is coming up next. And where you do want him, that that more defensive, reliable, experienced pro. So
2: yeah, I, I've got. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to see Paul Dummett back being available and like you say he's a useful player but yeah against Sheffield United Mm. a team who are having one of the worst seasons in Premier League history to play five at the back and have Paul Dummett be your left wing back does not scream confidence or ambition
1: no he's Uh, a very good player I do think he's underrated he's a good left back and a good centre back but Mm. It doesn't offer Absolutely. you anything going forward. There'll be one or two crosses a season where you say, oh, he's not a bad crosser of the ball. But that's a wing-back these days is essentially a winger. Like Jacob Murphy, mm. I would have much rather had a right wing-back even.
2: I don't understand why Jacob Murphy... I keep banging the drum for this. I do not understand why he's not getting more minutes. I don't think... I don't it's think it's because he, he doesn't. doesn't. Sorry, go on, you
3: go, go on. on. I was just going <laughs> to say it's because he's, he's not a defender. <laughs> it's because he's he's not a he's not a defender, and um,
2: Steve Bruce is scared of losing that game. But he has played him at right back. I think he's, he's I played at desperation. at uh, right back when we were playing four at the back. And but even even going four even as not part of the defence, even as part of a front three. I don't think Jacob Murphy is the future of Newcastle United or this great player, but in terms of form, he is actually probably the best deliverer of the ball into the box that we've got. And considering we don't get many opportunities in the final third of the, of the oppositions uh, of the pitch, I, I think that we need someone to be able to deliver the ball in. He would have made...
1: He would have made more sense playing in the position Sean Longstaff was than Sean Longstaff playing there was. I so, think that was sort of the case, three or four cases across the board, of is there a better choice to play in the position that they've been chosen and a fitter player as well. Mm. We were talking about Matty Longstaff being one of those. And what's Almiron got to do to start a game as well, especially when you need to be on the front foot?
3: Yeah. And he he's not a player that strikes me as like you know, you know, with like Ryan Fraser, who's coming back from a long time out. Maybe he needs to be like gently introduced to the to the season and some maximum whenever he returns, just gradually bring him back. Almiron is looks like the kind of player who can play eighty minutes every fixture. He's just got a good engine on him. So yeah, I would have had I would have happily seen Jacob Murphy and Almiron. Play for sixty minutes in that, like in that full, like attacking position, whatever you want to call it, mm. and then bring on Fraser for the final half hour. Just give him a bit of
2: bit more game time. Don't risk. I honestly, him. Think, I mean, in, in, I honestly think in Steve Bruce's psychology, there's a sort of thing where I think he's just a bit scared. I think there's, an, a a sense that. Well, this is a game that I should win. Therefore, I will play a very defensive, cautious side to make sure that we get the win, which is obviously mm. an incredibly flawed logic because then we're sort of handing over the, the uh, initiative to the other side and giving a side low on confidence an opportunity to ease themselves into the game and, and, and get some confidence of their own. So, yeah, it's... Flawed. Theo Penn says, "How do we sort out?" Oh no, no, I'll- yeah, go on. Theo Penn says, "How do we sort out the central midfield? Given we aren't going to bring anyone in this January, every combination has its strengths and weaknesses. But which combo will give us the football we want to see? It does seem unlikely that we're going to bring anyone in. There may be a couple of loan signings or whatever, but I think we're all agreed that we do. Ironically, considering it's the part of the park where we're suffering the most." We do have a surplus of average central midfielders who are going to be difficult to offload. So he's probably right that we're not going to get any new bodies in central midfield. What is our best combination? Thomas Burkhan replied to him, Rob Lee, David Batty, David Geniler and Keith Gillespie.
1: I think our best central midfield pairing in the tougher games where we need more energy seems to be Hayden and Matty Longstaff. At I the
3: moment, say, I would agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd take that further and say that that should be our that should be our first choice central midfield partnership in all games because against a team like Fulham, for example, that amount of intensity and and dominance in the centre of the park would have allowed the other players a bit more freedom. Would have allowed Callum Wilson to get on the ball a bit. You know. I, I, we haven't the luxury of of a top top class defensive midfielder that would allow us to play with uh, with John Joe Shelby um, pinging balls about at his leisure. We we don't have that. So, and Sean Longstaff's not playing particularly well. Jeff Hendrick hasn't done anything to suggest he's a Premier League footballer.
1: He's still our second top scorer this season. <laughs> he's
3: fucking criminal, isn't
1: <laughs>
3: it? I mean,
1: <laughs> I think we've Shelby. Yeah. With John Joe Shelby, there are certain teams where I think he should start against. I think we have our midfielders available. There is an element of horses for courses. If we're mm. playing a, a more open, defensive, less intense, less pressing team, I think Shelby is useful for us because he's one of our few players who can actually turn attack into de- uh, turn defence into attack. I think when we don't have him it's almost like watching tennis and our midfield is the net and it's just, you have to avoid them at all costs. I think he at least brings that. It's when there's more pressing against them, he comes so deep and is just Mm. ping perfect 70 yard balls. But then we've
3: spoken about this before and said that you don't need to play Shelby if you're playing like Fabian Shah at the back or, um, to a lesser extent like players like Sean Longstaff um, can ping a ball about not to the same degree as Shelby but you can you don't need to sacrifice and I think what you say about like teams who don't play with a lot of intensity they're very few and I'd, I'd much rather just just relegate John Joe Shelby to the reserves and work out a way to get Matty Longstaff Isaac Hayden and Sean Longstaff rotate them for the games because it is a lot of pressure but if you can rotate them for the games and almost their job is now no longer to try and uh, to try and Drag the the, the foot the the game like forward as as John Joe Shelby does with seventy yard balls, but just play a little bit further up and absolve themselves of that responsibility and give it to, to players like Fraser Almiron, Saint Maximum, and Wilson. And just go right. There's the ball. Yeah. It was a twenty yard pass. I gave you. Go
2: and do it. I think You're that's out why. That. You didn't mention Jeff Hendrick there. Where's Where's Jeff Hendrick going to play? Because you've got he's got his first name on the team sheet. Where's he going to play? (laughs) Second highest scorer. He's got to be. I think the other day, Jeff Hendrick looks like he's gone for a run in the park, and he's accidentally run through a football.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think on Shelby, I know what you mean, Dave, and we have I think rightly said he shouldn't necessarily be in the first team. But I think on current form, he should be ahead of Sean Longstaff, and that's not a great reflection on Shelby. I think he offers us something none of our other midfielders do and there are certain games where he is useful. But I don't think, I think if we were looking which of our midfielders would you want to be a settled pairing that you are first on the team sheet every time, I think it would be Matty Longstaff and Isaac Hayden.
2: So I think we're agreed on that and I, I will say that I know we've had a lot of injuries and COVID and stuff, but I would like us to try for a settled pairing and it doesn't feel like there's a, a, that seems like an ambition for the club because it seems like there's rotation when it's not actually needed. Well, we'll
1: probably bring in Nabil Bentaleb on um, (laughs) the again because
2: that works so well. Well, Bentaleb, the first time he played for us last season, he hit like one, Beautiful left-footed crossfield pass. Where I remember thinking, "Why well, he's a player?" And I can see why he's played at some big clubs. And I remember thinking, oh, this could be good." And that was the last good thing I saw him do. Um, so, and now I'm going to go to Alex Fusco. Uh, classic Newcastle. That question: percentage chance of relegation? Dave. Like 30%. 30%, Paul? I'd say 25 25 I would say I am. <laughs> Ironically, considering everything I've <laughs> said this season, I would put myself at 33.33 recurring. I think the only I reason reassure you you low, you're going to re- reassure me, Dave, is it All yeah. like, the other two sides are? Well, we are...
3: So we're currently in 15th. We are four points off 11th, Arsenal in 11th. They're on 23 points, we're on 19. And we are eight points off 18th. So we've got an eight-point cushion um, Mm -hmm. as it stands. I mean, as long as Fulham haven't somehow picked up a, we've done it before me, and Fulham
1: have equalised at Spurs day. as we got, as we talk
3: have they? yeah have they? <laughs> fucking hell why did I jinx it? But
1: so we're seven points it's... clear of the drop and they've
2: got a game
1: in hand on us we've got yeah so there you
2: go four points clear of the drop potentially uh, hang and, on and now I'm the one making the argument for we're gonna go down <laughs> I'm not saying that but we have done it before in relegation seasons and there is no reason why we will not this, this season there are a lot of signs we could easily go 12 games without a point
1: The main uh, reason I think that won't happen is just yeah. St Maximin's going to be fit soon and Absolutely. he answers a lot of the problems that we're currently facing Yeah and yeah. I, we, I think with we'll... St Maximin and Callum Wilson there's enough there to pick up. Okay.
2: The point. Well, our percentages range from 25% to 33%. So we're basically all in agreement. Uh, Nick Bird says, given what's on the line for Ashley, brackets potential sale of the club, do you think he'll risk a repeat of the McLaren fiasco and again leave it until we're three points off relegation before making a decision? He does. He's a little bit like Mike, Mike Ashley and uh, here's a little bit of politics for you guys. A little, he does. There are similarities between him and uh, Boris Johnson in that uh, he will leave it quite long before making a decision.
1: Yeah, he'll do that Johnson thing of waiting until it's a crisis where there is only one decision you can make and then be mm. forced to make it. Which, well, I was thinking about this earlier today. The only time I think Ashley has got the sacking of a manager right in that it's either the right manager to get rid of or at the right time was Allardyce. I think... Yeah. Every, Every manager he's got rid of then has been the wrong decision or the wrong timing. It's like who
2: I remember being quite gone? annoyed at that moment in time, being quite annoyed about the Allardyce circuit.
1: But you're you have to remember you're an edgy contrarian. <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you smoke
2: fags, and who came in after Allardyce? Keegan. Keegan. All oh, right. Okay.
3: okay. Which was the wrong appointment? Like I love Keegan. He he is. You know. Uh, you know what he done for the club. You can't you can't put it into words, but it was the wrong appointment. It was the kind of appointment that Ashley has subsequently made. Like, oh, I'll just do this because the fans love him. Like Keegan, Shearer, um, Steve Bruce. Oh, he's a Geordie, therefore they'll like him. It's it's not it's not well thought out. He, he I was think, the wrong Man,
1: I think if a vacancy comes up at your Premier League club, you're a fool. If your first question isn't who's currently running a soccer circus <laughs> <laughs> that I could attract, <laughs> so that should we should be scouring soccer circuses now to see who we could bring I t- in. I
3: tell you what, though, if if well, because something I saw in the the Chronicle this this afternoon was that Ashley, uh, you know, uh, Steve Bruce retained Ashley's confidence and there's not there's nothing in the, the pipeline that he's going to get the boot or anything if that's the case he has to pro, like provide some kind of support in the transfer window because mm. if he's, if he's you know if he's sticking with Bruce then he has to at the very least bring in some new players uh, on loan he has to do something in the transfer window he has to like allow that to, to take place or like you say Fergus it is possible that we can go on a 12 match winless run
2: um I don't think he and, will I think he's going to stick to his policy and then we'll get a couple of loan signings in but I- oh but that's fine like as long as if if, if it's loan signings that's I mean
3: honestly I, I don't mind that because he, you're coming towards he he still wants to sell the club so he's not going to go off and sign permanently somebody that he can't you know he doesn't think he's going to make money on or anything like that. It's not going to be like a £25 million centre midfielder, which is something that we need. And anything less than that won't improve Newcastle United enough to make a difference. So he has to, like, yeah, fine, fucking go for the, transfer, like, the, the loan market. I don't care, but something has to be added to this team. Otherwise, we will get dragged into a proper relegation
1: fight.
2: I think the I'm only sorry, thing so, oh, sorry, I'll go on then, Paul. Like I said the only thing that
1: could change Ashley's thinking this time is the takeover. Um, it would depend on what level of contact there is between sort of Staveley and Ashley at this point. Cause I would imagine if it's running in the background, I don't know if they'd have any level of say, or even if it would just be the fear of relegation would force him to act quicker this time. Cause I don't I don't think Ashley wants but he's not got the stomach for taking us up to the Championship again. He wants us sold before that. So I think there's there would be more urgency this time, but I don't. I just think there isn't the football brains there between him, Charnley, and Keith Bishop, and whoever, or Justin Barnes, to make the right decision.
2: No. Alex Fusco also says, uh, if we were to sack Bruce, who would we get as a replacement? Who, in their right mind, would want the job under the current regime? That are desperate to sell and not invest a penny more. I would have thought that there are there are a lot more people who want to manage football clubs than there are football clubs. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. There are more people who want to do it than there are Premier League clubs. So, I think I we're
1: a much more, of people who would do it. I think we're a much more palatable proposition for a manager than we have been. At other times under Ashley as well. You look mm-hmm. at the squad we've got. I think a lot of managers would look at that and say, "St. Maximin Wilson, Sturdy Dubravka, defender. Federer,
3: yeah. uh, Fernandez. Yeah, yeah. There's Roger there's Federer, Federer. We've got Federer,
2: greatest player of tennis player of all time in our <laughs> squad, and he never even gets a start." But, but the, I think as well, they'd you, look at the last transfer window s-
1: and look at the players we brought in and think there is actually some backing there for the manager and the other thing is
3: that the the takeover it doesn't have to be viewed as a negative like oh as soon as they come in they're going to replace me uh, a manager like an example that i've seen banded bandied about is eddie howe and if eddie howe's t- looking at the job he he wouldn't see like a takeover as a threat to him if he does well mm. they'll, they'll they could keep him on they could like you know. He's a Premier League manager. He's, it wasn't so long ago that they were talking about him for the fucking England job. So he is, he's is. he got some cachet there. And if he came in and took us, I mean, fucking hell, let's go wild with ambition, took us to 12th. Um, if he got us playing some good football and got the fans on side, the takeover's not a terrifying thing. So There's I would say... Of- just to, of- just to finish, I was just going to say that um anybody anybody if if Bruce is given the, the short shrift, every any, any manager will only be given till the end of the season. That's, it's just it would just makes it would be a
2: madness to give anybody a longer contract than that. There's a lot of reasons why Eddie Howe might not want to take the job, but personally, I think it could be a great choice for him because there's not um, many Premier League jobs floating around. He's got a very simple brief, stay up. And he does have players in our squad that could help him to to look quite good. And I would have thought that there's actually... I mean, he's gone a little bit out of fashion, hasn't he, towards the end at Bournemouth. Mm. There's actually not that many c- clubs are going to be offering him jobs that are at our level. And there are like already three players in our side who he has a relationship with that is hopefully positive. It might be a bit dodgy with Ryan Fraser, I don't know. But, he, you know, he might yeah, come in with some authority. And uh, I do wonder whether, because he is English and talks like that, that he might get in on the back door via the back door, like Mike actually Ashley might accidentally hire a quite <laughs> progressive manager
1: just yeah.
2: because he sounds a bit like Tim Sherwood.
1: My worry is Ashley would bring in Tim Sherwood. But yeah, sure. I would happily happily have Eddie Howe, even though he got relegated in his last Premier League season.
3: Mm. I mean, the, the thing about Eddie Howe is he, he... He's not great at coaching defenses, but he is good at, at getting the the the, um, the first team to play some quite quite appealing football, quite you know fun to watch football. And I think with the keeper that we've got, the defenders that we've got, I think if we could attack better. It would take much, much more pressure off them, and I think, like you say, Fergus and Paul, we've got players like Saint Maximum, Almiron, Wilson, Fraser, who can play football and who can,
2: you know, take to a bit of pressure off of, them. To get out, uh, us out of a relegation battle, that is actually what we need. Is we don't need like some like insane Keeganish attack. We do just need a little bit of like attacking impetus and positivity.
1: So it doesn't feel like we need a sort of Allardyce-style firefighter to come in either. No. But I think the appeal of the job at Newcastle is it it would give a certain calibre of manager access to a size of club that they otherwise wouldn't have. So it it would give a manager a chance to going on to that next level. Yeah. It's sort of like a very good-looking woman who is insane. (laughs) <laughs> sort of it's the only
2: circumstances under which
1: it would happen
2: so uh i'll just finish up on twitter here andy sheldon says how much would you pay me to remove bruce as a problem i think it sounds like andy sheldon's been radicalized on parlor <laughs>
0: um,
2: so I'll, I'll skip over that one before we get um taken down and then I'm just throwing this one at you guys. I don't know if there's anything you can do with it, but Paul M says, tell me a meal and a song that might cheer you up after watching Newcastle, please. <laughs> a meal and a song. A meal and a song. we all cheer that, us up. that famous combo. <laughs> oh, I'm just taking the missus out for a meal and a song. <laughs> a meal and a song. Right, okay. Um, it
1: sounds like a sentence you'd get in like a foreign uh, phrase book.
2: A few years ago, I took my girlfriend to Newcastle for the weekend and we went to watch the Newcastle United game. And actually, in the, it was in the early days of my I friendship. I think I was we, there, yeah. You came along to that game and you were getting the train back. So me and Laurie decided to go out for a... Sponta- we were a meal like, in a song. We in <laughs> a song. We decided to go for an Indian... So I looked at my phone like, oh, what's a good curry in the centre of Newcastle? We ended up going to an Indian in the big market, and we were the only people in that Indian not on a stack too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what was it called?
1: Was it the one where it's like um It was just very functional. Like this is a big room for men. It's not the it one wasn't that like, was always in Viz, was it?
2: The curry capital or something. Was like, full on just we were just surrounded by a lot of songs. We went for a meal and a lot of songs sung by uh, large men. Uh, right at the mo- at the moment though, that would cheer me up. Yeah, uh, that would be my answer. Would be to just go for a, curry a meal, <laughs> and sing some songs. <laughs> that that um, recipe I sent you
3: to the the um, the Ruby Murray, the, the chicken Ruby from the Dishoom cookbook.
1: Dave Dave you're shattering the illusion of us as football hard men that to the is. listeners. We don't thought <laughs> Oh you know that Did you see
2: the, and, um, uh, the the Chorley FC singing Adele? Adele. What was that?
0: Ah.
2: I I genuinely found that incredibly emotional. I thought I there was something about a group of people celebrating something in a little room together, no social distancing, that sort of like, oh, uh, we're all together celebrating something. See, and I thought it was really nice that that was there. So having a sing song, I found it I, found it was it, like I found the, it genuinely emotional.
1: It was like the Scotland team singing, yes, sir, I can boogie. That got me at the time.
2: <laughs> genuinely did. But they were doing something I cannot do, which is one, like, Win an FA Cup, be part of an FA Cup game winning side, and two, like sing a song with some friends in a room. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that now. I was like, oh, this is quite nice. So, yeah, I would that would be my answer. Go,
3: yeah.
2: You'd go for I'd a like curry with
3: the Chorley Town players, the Crawley players, and in the players, Adele, and singing Adele. Like or whatever
1: it was.
2: Um yeah. okay, I'll go for I'll a pub have...
1: meal with Matt Ritchie and Ryan Fraser and sing Yes sir I can boogie. Sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's an answer. Okay. Well, um our next game we were we had a sort of like um Sheffield United sandwich because with Arsenal as two slices of bread because our next game is against Arsenal away again Monday night on Sky. Just looking at the games we've got ahead. We have got a tough run coming up. We're just in the right place for that, aren't we? Our next eight games. We could get dragged, dragged into a relegation battle.
1: It's not looking great for us. I mean, the thing about Arsenal, we have just drawn with them over 90 minutes. it's not necessarily doom and gloom but it'll be a different Arsenal
2: if you had to if you had to ask me to bet on where I think we'll finish in the table I would still actually just go for 15th I just I just feel like we're going to be 15th but I also feel like it is there's a strong chance we'll be 17th perhaps even 18th Uh, what are your predictions for the Arsenal game 2-0 2-0 Arsenal. Yeah, 2-0 Arsenal. 2-0 Arsenal. It's the newcastle Natter prediction for you guys. I'd take a goal
1: just because it, it's been a while. It's, it's, it's been,
2: been a... 10 hours, hasn't it? Hang on. Andy <laughs> Carroll got one. Um, in the league. In the league that ago, didn't he? That was in the cup, wasn't it? It wasn't, no. He got one. It was a late, com- late compilation goal. Yeah. Against Leicester, yeah, only two games away. So what's the problem, guys? (laughs) Only two games ago, 3rd of January, Andy Carroll scored a meaningless goal in the 82nd winning. Mm. And before that, our last goal was on the 19th of December. Now a famous 1-1 draw with Fulham. It was a penalty. God, this is a depressing
3: end to the. Like, we should have saved up, Nick. Um, we should have saved up that meal and a song question for after this.
2: It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Football doesn't matter. Football doesn't matter. It's fine. And now we've got less than a minute on our uh, Zoom meeting, so we'll end it on that. <laughs> Remember, no matter what's going on, football doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Leave us a five-star review. Thank you, Paul <laughs> Doolan. Thank you. Football doesn't matter and neither does anything else in your life. Goodbye.
0: <laughs> Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? And is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going
2: to lose a number of people to the flu.
0: Sports Social Podcast
1: Network.